Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. This is your host, Jared Dawkins here. I hope all of you out there in the world are taking good care of yourselves and being safe during this pandemic. And I hope all of you out there are making good, smart, and careful decisions. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, as we all know, the first two games of the NBA Finals between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors are taking place. And this series for Boston and Golden State, it's... It's kind of reminding me of Boston's previous series against the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. And why do I say that? I say that because if you go back and you watch that series, that series was just full of spurts of either players individually going off in quarters or halves, or you had either Miami or Boston just go off for a quarter or a half, and both teams would just just overwhelm you with their dominance. And that's what this series feels like with Boston and Golden State. You have either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or Steph go off for a quarter or a half, but then you would have Boston come out like they did in the fourth quarter and go and and, and outscore you 40 to 16 or you would have Golden State go off in the third quarter like they did in game 1 and outscore you 38 to 24 you would have you would have both teams go off for a half or a quarter or you would have both or you would have both team star players at least one of them individually go off for a quarter or a half and that would set the tone for the rest of the game for either one of those two teams and which and which bring which brings me to the numbers for game one. Steph Curry in game one put up twenty one points in the first quarter, but he went scoreless in the second quarter. Golden State's biggest lead in game one was ten points, forty seven to thirty seven. But then Boston, as they did in game one, fought back from a fought back and they just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And Boston took the lead by two at the end of the first half to go up 56 to 54. But then what did Golden State do in the first in the in the in the third quarter of game 1? They outscored Boston 38 to 24 to take a 92 to 80 lead heading into the fourth quarter. But then Boston came back in the fourth quarter and outscored Golden State 40 to 16 to eventually blow Golden State out 120 to 108. So and but then if you but then if you go back and you watch that game, like I mentioned before, it's like any time Golden State had a chance to put Boston out of their misery and knock them out, Boston would fight back and they would fight back and they would fight back and they would fight back. And if you take away and let's be honest about this, let's be real honest about this, okay? If you take away Steph's twenty one point first quarter if you take away Golden State's biggest lead, which was 10, and if you take away Golden State's 38-point third quarter, you take all of that away, game one was pretty much even. I mean, really, if you really if you take all of those if you take all of those away, game one was pretty much even for Golden State and Boston. And that's when that's why Golden State was able to, to to hang around as much as they were able to hang around. And that's why 
with Boston being able to hang around as much as they were able to hang around, they were able to take advantage of them hanging around, and that's why they went into the fourth quarter with a, with with a little bit of confidence that, okay, yeah, we're down by 12, but we've hung around most of this game, which eventually, like I said before, led to Boston blasting Golden State in the fourth quarter, 40 to 16, and eventually going on to blow them out by 12, 120 to 108. But then game two came around. And if you look at game two, game two is pretty much the same as game one. Steph Curry kind of Steph Curry goes off in the first half, goes off for 21 points. He eventually ended the game by scoring 29 points. Klay Thompson really didn't play all that well, but he put up 11. And Otto and Jordan Poole came out. He came off the bench and put up 17 points. But game two was pretty much almost similar to game one. Like I said before, Steph goes off for 21 points. The Warriors go into the third quarter. And what do they do in the third quarter? What they always do. They, they outscore Boston in the third quarter, 35-14. to 14. But what was the difference with Golden State in game two than in game one? They were able to what? Golden State was able to finish off Boston in game two. They were able to finish off Boston in game two, and Golden State was where Golden State was able to keep that momentum going that they had from from the from the third quarter, and they were able to blast Golden State. Oh, excuse me, they were able to blast Boston and win 107 to eighty. Excuse me, one hundred seven to eighty eight. So, but this series between Golden State and Boston, you just don't know what you're gonna get. Clay Thompson really hasn't played all that well. Andrew Wiggins showed up in game one. He put up twenty, but it was a it was a quiet twenty points. And this series is going to just simply come down to because we know Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Steph Curry are gonna show up. We all know those guys are gonna show up. We all know eventually Clay is gonna show up at some point. We all know that, but this series is going to simply come down to the others. What do I mean by the others? I'm talking about a Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole was so hot when, as far as him putting up those 17 points, he was so hot. He 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 that at one point it was like watching somebody play 2K. Okay, Jordan Poole was so hot that at the that towards the end of the third quarter, he hit a half court shot that just. It pretty much killed any chance of Boston coming back and trying to win that game. It killed it. When he hit that half-court shot, I was just like, okay, yeah, Golden State's going to win this game. Steph Curry's going off. Clay's really not playing as well as he should, but he's giving you something. Draymond is giving you something. Not only that, Billy Elitza came off the bench, gave you six points. He gave you a couple of layups. But with but when Jordan Poole goes off like that, and he and he's banging threes from almost the half court from almost the logo, and then he's and then he's hitting then he's hitting half court shots all net like that. I'm sorry, but you're not beating Golden State. You're not beating them. But bottom line is, like I said before, this series is going to come down to can the others show up? Can Poole give you 17? Can can will Golden State eventually bring Jonathan Kaminga into the mix? And can Jonathan and can Jonathan Kaminga give you something? 
can 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 Moody come off the bench and give you anything? Can Damian Lee, will Damian Lee be a factor in this series? For Boston, can Grant Williams give you something in this series? Can Derek White continue to show up? Can Peyton Pritchard, who played pretty damn decent in game one, can he give you anything? This series is going to simply come down to can the others for Golden State and or Boston give you something can they get can can Grant Williams give you a Mike Miller performance like Mike Miller did in the end game 6 of the 2012 finals with Miami and Oklahoma City can Andrew Wiggins show up that's what this series is going to come down to with Golden State and Boston we know the stars are going to show up we know that we all know that but can the others give you what they need to give you because stars are going to show up Okay, stars are going to show up, but to win championships, it comes down to the others. And when the others show up, that's when teams win championships. But I want to talk about Draymond Green really, really quickly. I want to talk about Draymond Green. And I love Draymond Green. I like Draymond. We all know Draymond is the enforcer. He's the heart and soul of the Golden State Warriors. And at the end of the day with Draymond, we all know Draymond is not in his prime like he once was, but he's still giving you what he can give you on the defensive end. But here's my issue with Draymond Green. Okay. Last night, Draymond annoyed the hell out of me last night when I was watching this game. And I say that he annoyed me because there were moments in this game where when you watch Draymond Green and you watch him play, you don't mind him being himself. But it gets to a point where some of his antics are just too much. And I say they're too much because of the simple fact of prime example. In the first quarter, He's he's guarding Marcus Smart, okay? He's guarding Marcus Smart. He's trying to back Marcus Smart out to get the rebound. At one point, they showed a replay of Draymond Green backing out Marcus Smart. And Draymond, and Draymond knows what he's doing when he's doing this. He's a, he's a smart guy. Even though he's annoying and he's agitating as hell at times, he's very smart. They showed the replay of Draymond back, of Draymond backing out Marcus Smart. And Draymond had his left leg in between Marcus Smart's legs as if to say to him, if you try to push me, I might take my leg and put it up in an area where it's not going to be too pretty for you, Marcus. And all of you men out there, y'all know what I'm talking about. And then he had another incident, or semi-incident, with Jalen Brown, where He's defending where he's defending Jalen Brown's three-point shot, and he intentionally falls on top of Jalen Brown. And as he's falling on top of Jalen Brown, he, for some weird reason, puts his feet on Jalen Brown. And as Jalen Brown's trying to get up, Draymond pushes him. Jalen Brown pushes and Jalen Brown gets up, and and Draymond, as a way to make it look like he's the victim tries to get up and he's pulling on Jalen Brown's 
shorts. And him and Jalen Brown start going at it. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself, and as I'm watching Draymond Green just constantly go back and forth with the officials, I'm watching this and I'm and, and I'm thinking to myself, Draymond, just shut up. Just chill out and just play. Just play. But here's the thing about that. I have this saying as far as just whether it be with athletes or just in life in general. I have this saying of be you, but be smart in being you. Draymond has a history of getting of just of get of just complaining so much and getting technicals because he's so damn emotional and he's and he complains so much that it's going to get to a point where the officials are just going to get tired of it. Now, here's where the where, now here's where Draymond has leverage. Draymond knows that he has a reputation. The referees know that Draymond has a reputation. So when it comes to the NBA finals, the refs are only going to tolerate but so much with him. And the refs don't want to throw Draymond out of a out of an NBA Finals game. They don't want to do that because they don't want to shift the balance and power of the series, just like they did in the 2016 NBA Finals when the NBA suspended Draymond Green for Game 6. So the refs don't want to throw Draymond out of an NBA Finals game. They want this to come down to the players. But Draymond has a history of kicking guys in the nuts. He did it with Steven Adams on multiple occasions. He has a history of kind of being a little bit, being, being annoying and instigating things with guys. And he has a tendency of complaining a lot to the officials on almost every call. And it gets to the point where those things just get annoying after a while. So here's what I'm going to say about Draymond. I'm not saying that Draymond can't be himself. I'm not saying that Draymond can't exude that confidence. I'm not saying that Draymond has to all of a sudden just not be the enforcer, not have that edge, not have that tone. All I'm simply saying is Draymond still be those things, but be smart in being you. You know you have a reputation. You know you got a history of of complaining a lot about calls. You know have you know you have a history of getting technical fouls. You know you know you have a history of getting chippy with guys and even delivering a couple cheap shots to guys. All I'm simply saying is Draymond, just be smart in being you. Have that edge, set that tone, but be controlled in setting that edge and setting that tone. That's all I'm saying because it's going to get to a point where the officials, and I hope the officials don't do it, but at some point they're probably going to have to. It's going to get to a point where the officials are going to get tired of this and they are going to throw Draymond Green out of a playoff game, or excuse me, out of an NBA Finals game in this series. Draymond's pushing that edge. He's pushing it. He's pushing it, but he's pushing it just just enough to, to where he knows not to go over the edge. So I'm just saying, Draymond, be you, set that tone, set that edge, but be smart in being you. That's all. That's all I'm saying. And one more thing. I said this. I've, I, I've said this for the longest time, and I'm going to continue to keep saying it.
I compare Draymond to Rasheed Wallace. And why do I compare Draymond Green to Rasheed Wallace? I I compare Draymond to Rasheed because Draymond and Rasheed both do what? Shoot the three well, and they play really, really good defense well. But the one thing about Draymond Green that a lot of people saw with Rasheed Wallace is, what did Rasheed Wallace do that Draymond Green does a lot? He complains about every call to the officials. He gets technicals just like he got technicals, just like Draymond got technicals. So that's why I compare Draymond Green to Rasheed Wallace. Just throwing that out there as a side note. But coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you guys why Quinn Snyder's resignation as head coach from the from the Utah Jazz will have a domino will possibly have a domino effect in Utah and also why Josh McDaniels's second head coaching opportunity with the Raiders will be a much much bigger success than his first time in Denver that's coming up stay tuned all right ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the show I want to talk about Quinn Snyder and his res and his resignation from the Utah Jazz it kind of surprised me but then again, if you really look back at the last six years and Utah's playoff history with Quinn over the last six years, and and then other and then other situations that took place, it really kind of isn't all that surprising. And I honestly think that Quinn Snyder resigning from the Utah Jazz is gonna is going to start a domino effect. But before I get into the domino effect. Uh, domino effect situation. Here's what Quinn Snyder said after his resignation from the Utah Jazz. This is what Quinn Snyder said. He said in a statement that he was grateful for his time with the Utah Jazz, but that his decision came down to what was best for the team's players. He said, quote, at the core and what drives me every day is our players and their, and their passion for the game, their desire to, to constantly work to improve and their dedication to the team and the Jazz. I strongly feel they need a new voice to continue to evolve. That's it. No philosophical reasons, no other reason. After eight years, I just feel it is time to move onward. I needed to take time to detach after the season and make sure this was the right decision. Also, this is what Utah Jazz owner Ryan Smith said after the departure of Quinn Snyder as far as Quinn's resignation. This is what Ryan Smith said. Quote, Quinn Snyder embodied what jazz basketball is for the last eight years. The tireless work ethic and attention to detail Quinn displayed each day is a testament to the professional he is. I have nothing but admiration for Quinn and respect for his decision. Bottom line is this with the Utah Jazz, and I mean this and I said this before. I believe this is going to start a domino effect with the Utah Jazz. Over the last six years with the Utah Jazz. Okay, we're going to create a little Utah Jazz pot right now. Okay? All right, we're going to create we're going to create a little Utah Jazz pot. Over the last six years with the Utah Jazz, they have either, on three different occasions, they have either failed to get out of the first round of the playoffs in the Western Conference, or on three separate occasions, they have either failed to get past the Western Conference semifinals. So, throw that in the Utah Jazz pot. Secondly, the other reason why I think this will create a domino effect for Utah. In the playoffs over the last six years with Donovan Mitchell, 
outside of Donovan Mitchell offensively. Really nobody else on that roster outside of Jordan Clark during the playoffs for Utah over the last six years has consistently stepped up and helped out Utah to at least get Utah to the, to the Western Conference Finals. So you have that in there. So throw that in the Utah Jazz pot. So you have Utah not being able to get over the hump and get to at least the Western Conference Finals. Then on top of that, you have no one outside of Jordan Clarkson helping Donovan Mitchell offensively in the playoffs in the playoffs over the last six years. And then you have a couple of years ago when the when the second half of the NBA season shut down and Rudy Gobert developed COVID. And what happened during that during that shutdown? Rudy Gobert Rudy Gobert developed COVID. Eventually, Donovan Mitchell ended up getting COVID. And after that, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert's relationship was kind of strained after that. And they really have not been able to recover since then. So you throw that into the pot. So you have Utah's ability to just not get to just not get over the hump and get and get to the NBA finals. You have no one outside of Jordan Clark helping out Donovan Mitchell offensively in the playoffs over the last six years. And then you have the the COVID situation with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and how that strained their relationship to a degree. And now you have Quinn Snyder resigning. So you have all of these things kind of kind of kind of leading to eventually leading to Quinn Snyder eventually saying that, you know what, it's time for me to leave. It's time for this team to have a new voice, new leadership. And I'm not mad at him one bit. I'm not mad at him at all. I completely and wholeheartedly understand his his decision to want to resign. He's felt like he's felt like he's had he's felt like he's done everything he could possibly do with this roster. And for him to take over for the late Jerry Sloan and bring the Utah Jazz back to relevancy as much as he possibly could. I'm not I'm not mad at him for that at all. And obviously, I believe Quinn Snyder is definitely going to get another head coaching job very, very soon. I honestly cannot wait to see where he ends up coaching next because he's a damn good head coach. He he really, really is. So I'm not mad at you, Quinn. I'm not mad at you one damn bit. I can't wait to see where he ends up, where he ends up coaching next. But it brings me to Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, which brings me to my my domino effect situation. I believe Quinn Snyder resigning is going to have a domino effect on Donovan Mitchell because I believe that Donovan Mitchell is going to eventually demand a trade from the Utah Jazz. And like I said before, I mentioned earlier the COVID situation with him and Rudy and how that strained their relationship to a degree. And then on top of that, outside of Jordan Clarkson, nobody else in the playoffs helping out Rudy, excuse me, helping out Donovan Mitchell. Donovan having to carry the load individually. Donovan, I'm pretty sure, is getting tired of that. So I think Donovan at some point is going to 
this summer. I think at some point he's going to demand a trade from the Utah Jazz. And if he does demand a trade from Utah, he could stay. I'm not saying that he will, but he very well could demand a trade from Utah. If Donovan Mitchell demands a trade from the Utah Jazz, which is very likely, who's to say Rudy Gobert stays? I don't think Rudy Gobert stays in Utah. Now, both of them could stay, and they and Utah could just simply get a new head coach, or one of them could get traded, and the other one could stay. Rudy could get traded, and Donovan could stay. Donovan could stay, and Rudy could get traded. Or both of them in general just just could flat out get traded. So that's why I say Quinn Snyder resigning as the head coach of the Utah Jazz could ultimately lead to a domino effect for the Utah Jazz this summer. And if that happens, if Rudy gets traded and if Donovan gets traded, where does Utah go after this? Where do they go after that? We will we, we 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 can only sit back and we can only wait and see. But next up, I want to talk about Josh McDaniels, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And as we all know, Josh McDaniels was was mainly known for his time as an offensive coordinator with the New England Patriots, with Tom Brady, and, win, and winning multiple Super Bowls. And then he ended up getting his first head coaching opportunity with the Denver Broncos and Tim Tebow. And we all know that did not go well at all. So what happened? He ended up going back to New England, being the offensive coordinator again, winning a couple of Super Bowls. And then he ultimately had another opportunity given to him by the Indianapolis Colts to be their new head coach. But he kind of spurned him, left him at the altar, and... He ended up going back to Indianapolis. He ended up going back to New England. Why? Because he felt like he wasn't ready to be a head coach. And I get why Josh McDaniels did that. But the way in which he did it, eh, kind of messed up. But I understand why he did it. Because Josh McDaniels felt like he wasn't ready to be the to be to be the, to be a head coach again after how his first tenure went with the Broncos. So now with Josh McDaniels being the head coach for the Las Vegas Raiders, he has Derek Carr. He has one of the he has one of he has one of the better young he has one of the better quarterbacks in the league in Derek Carr. He has one of the better receivers in the league in Devon. He has one of if not the best receiver receivers in the league in Devontae Adams. And then on the defensive side of the football, he has Chandler Jones and Max Crosby is starting to come into his own. And I feel like with Josh McDaniels, to me, this just simply feels like Josh McDaniels is in a much, much better position to succeed, not only because he's but not only because he's learned from his mistakes in Denver. But because he's a better he's a better he's a better head coach for that, and he's and he has much better talent around him in Vegas than what he did in Denver. This is what Josh McDaniels' father, Tom McDaniel, said as far as Josh, as far as Josh being in a much better space as far as being in a better position to coach the Raiders than he did the first time in Denver. This is what Josh McDaniels' father, Tom, said. He said, as an NFL observer, 
I think a lot of NFL of NFL first time coaches may not want to be desperate to get their first opportunity, but sometimes they are. And I think Josh was. There was zero desperation about his second opportunity. And he's had interviews and been part of the process more than once. And then this is what Josh McDaniel said as it pertained to him spurning the Indianapolis Colts when he was introduced in his, when he was introduced in a press conference earlier on this year. This is what he said as it pertained to him spurning the Colts. He said I have he said I have a tremendous amount of respect for general manager Chris Ballard and Colts owner Jim Irsay and their whole organization. They were great. I didn't I did I I think I ended up with the person that I should have ended up with Frank Wright and I ended up where and I ended up where I was supposed to be. And this is what Josh McDaniel said about the lessons that he learned while he was in Denver. He said he said, quote, I went to Denver and I knew a little bit of I knew a little bit of football. I didn't really know people and how important that aspect of the process and maintaining the culture and building the team was. I failed and I didn't succeed at it. Looking at the experience has been one of the best things in my life in terms of my overall growth as a person and as a coach. So bottom line is this with Josh McDaniels. He 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 knows how to become a full-fledged head coach now because he learned from his mistakes the first time being a head coach. He learned from the decision that he made and how he handled the decision that he made with the Indianapolis Colts. And at the end of the day, bottom line is this. With the Bill Belichick coaching tree, Bill Belichick has had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Bill Belichick has had seven head coaches in his coaching tree during his career. Charlie Weiss, head coach at Notre Dame, succeeded for a little while, took took the Notre Dame Fighting Irish to a few bowl games. Romeo Cornell was a head coach for the Houston Texans and Kansas City Chiefs. Mike Vrabel, head coach of the Tennessee Titans, made multiple playoff appearances, made it to the AFC Championship game. Brian Flores did a pretty damn good job with the Miami Dolphins as of recently. Matt Patricia, head coach of the Detroit Lions, did a horrible job. Josh McDaniels, like I mentioned, like I'm talking about now, head coach of the Denver Broncos, didn't really do so well, learned from that, now is the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, and Bill O'Brien, head coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions, succeeded pretty damn well with Penn State, and was the head coach of the Houston Texans, made a couple of playoff appearances. Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick's head coaching tree, is really has really not been good at all, but I honestly believe that the only two head coaches out of that entire coaching tree that will succeed and that have succeeded thus far is Mike Vrabel, and he's going to continue to succeed because he's that damn good of a head coach. And as long as GM John Robinson continues to surround Mike Vrabel with players, Mike Vrabel is going to continue to do a damn good job at Tennessee. And now Josh McDaniels with the Las Vegas Raiders because of not only the fact that he's learned how to be a better head coach, but because he has much, much better talent around him in Vegas than what he did when he was with the Broncos. And that's why I say I think Josh McDaniels is going to 
have 10 times the better success in Vegas than what he had in Denver because he's going to because he's learned from his head coaching mistakes with the Broncos and he like I said before he has much 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 better talent around him than he did in Denver. That Denver team eh, really wasn't all that great. It really wasn't all that great and people forget about that Denver team. In 2009, Denver started out 6 and 0. They started out 6 and 0. And it didn't end well for them. It did not end well for them at all. So, all in all, I think Josh McDaniels and and the Las Vegas Raiders will be will be fine and Josh McDaniels will do really really well for the Las Vegas Raiders moving forward. Coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's going to be time for me to leave you with something to think about. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. You know what time it is. It's time for me to leave you with something to think about. I got a double what if for you guys today. The year 2006. Why do I bring up the year 2006? Because that is the year that Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts knocked off Tom Brady and the New England Patriots to become the AFC representative in Super Bowl 41. That is also the same year that Rex Grossman and the Chicago Bears knocked off the New Orleans Saints in the NFC Championship game to become the NFC champion representative in Super Bowl 41. And as we all know, the Indianapolis Colts and Chicago Bears faced each other in Super Bowl 41, and the Colts ended up winning the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning wins Super Bowl MVP and, and wins his first championship. But what if, what if Tom Brady and the New England Patriots had actually held on and finished off Peyton Manning and the the Indianapolis Colts in the AFC Championship game and had won the AFC title game to become the representative in in Super Bowl Forty One for the AFC. And what if Drew Brees, Reggie Bush, Sean Payton, and the New Orleans Saints had actually gone into Chicago and knocked off Rex Grossman and the Bears to win the NFC Championship, and they became the NFC Championship representative, and they meet... Tom Brady and the Patriots in Super Bowl 41. What if the Patriots and the Saints would have met in Super Bowl 41? Tom Brady and that offense against Jonathan Vilma and the Saints defense, Bill Belichick's Patriots defense against Drew Brees, Sean Payton, and that Saints offense. Now, we all know over the last couple of years that Drew Brees and the Saints actually faced Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the regular season. So Drew Brees and Tom Brady and their teams have faced off against each other. And also when Tom Brady was with New England, what happened? The Patriots and the Saints faced each other. But they never actually faced each other in the Super Bowl. So what if Tom Brady and the Patriots had actually faced Drew Brees and the Saints in the Super Bowl, in Super Bowl Forty One? How would that Saints offense have matched up with Bill Belichick and that Patriots defense? How would that Patriots defense have matched up against that Saints defense? That's why we will never, ever know. That's why this is what if. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. I am your host, Jared Dawkins. If you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at QuietSoul24. 
Q-U-I-E-T-S-O-U-L-24. Again, that's lowercase Q-U-I-E-T-S-O-U-L-24. You can follow me on, on Facebook at Jared Dawkins, J-A-R-E-D Dawkins, D-A-W-K-I-N-S. Thank you all for listening. I hope you all continue to enjoy the NBA Finals as much as I will. Thank you all for listening. I'm out. Peace.